This morning I want to encourage you from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 18, shining as stars. Epiphany uh, really accentuates just the value of the star. And I think most of us, as we've traveled through the Advent season, Christmas season, we all have been aware there's a star. So there was a star, and that, that star compelled three Babylonian magi to travel for about a month from Babylon up over the Fertile Crescent through Syria back to Jerusalem. And they arrived uh, to worship the king of the Jews. So the value of that star within the, the story of Jesus. Now imagine shining stars. Close your eyes. And just remember, when was the last time you were outside and you just saw this just like awesome display of stars? In the mornings, I tend to get up earlier than Susan, Amber, and Katie. And so rather than grind the coffee beans in the kitchen that would disturb everybody, I tend to go outside to do that which always gives me the opportunity to look at the stars. This morning it was crisp, it was cool. It wasn't as cold as I wanted it to be. I'm pulling for 32 and below. Yeah. When it's cold and crisp, the stars are awesome. This morning they were beautiful. So you got that image in your head? So could you imagine... Well, what if it's the stars that we envision and the glow, if, if, that, if that was on the earth? Imagine if there was 2.2 billion stars shining, not, not in the heavenlies, but all dispersed around on the earth. You know, if one shining star can draw Babylonian magicians, magi, to Jesus, out of the nations, to the king of kings, you know, how many could 2.2 billion stars eliminate? Paul writes, this is like compressing the whole Advent, Christmas, Epiphany season in the beginning of this year. Let the same mind be in all of you followers of Jesus that was in Christ Jesus who, and the whole point was he humbled himself. We are to be a humble people. And because he was humble, therefore God also highly exalted him, gave him the name that's above every name. And the day will come that every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Christ. He, yeah, he's the one. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, you've always listened, you've always taken to heart what I've instructed, you've done it. Not only in my presence, but also now even more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who's at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. 
It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice of the offering of faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. What Paul, I mean, Paul, that, that passage is full of unbelievable images. We shine. Those that follow Jesus shine. As the stars in the heaven, but we shine on the earth. Incredible figure of speech. As we hold fast to the word of life. So holding fast to these instructions, these words. I mean, when we really take those to heart, when we really listen, and we really do this, then we begin to illuminate to the world around us life, words of life. And those, there's three things that are being underlined. One, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because it's God who's at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then second, do all things without mumbling and arguing. So that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And third, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. So when we as people following Jesus hold fast, really take these instructions to heart, put them to work in our lives, we're living this way, then we are as stars on the planet. We probably should understand all three of those. We've talked a little bit, but it's, it's probably good to remind ourselves because I forget what I said last week, so you probably forget what I say too. So, working out your own salvation. I think that the Bible, again, this would be from my perspective, but from my perspective, the Bible is very clear. We, we do need rescue. We do need salvation from our rebellion against God. We just are naturally rebellious people. We, we come into this world and we want our own way and we tend to want it in spite of a God who loves us created us and wants everything good for us. So I, I think we need rescue. And I think that, that the planet, all of humanity needed it so bad that God said, I, they, they're not going to get out of the rebellion on their own. So I'm going to have to intervene in human history. I've got to do something to save them from themselves. So Jesus came. And that's, that's what the whole Advent season is about. The Savior has come. So Jesus did it for us. Jesus saved us. Jesus did the work of salvation. So when you're working out, we're not talking about, we don't have to work it out as far as our own forgiveness, our sins. We don't, that, that, that's not what we're talking about. If we, by faith, trust that what Jesus did for us, that that's being saved by the mercy of God through faith. We, we, we trust that what Jesus did is sufficient. But salvation is not just a past event. 
Salvation has to do with the present and the future. And so really what Paul is saying here more than, he's not even talking about the past. He's saying now that you have received this unbelievable priceless gift of salvation, what are you going to do with it? How is it going to work out in your lives? And then he says, and by the way, if that seems like that's going to be really hard to do, it's God who's at work within us to give you the will and the ability to do it. So he's just, if, if we will lean into God, primarily the Holy Spirit, if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to empower us, then he'll give us the willpower as well as the ability to do everything that God has asked us to do so that our salvation is being worked out in great ways. So it's, it, these are some of the synonyms of, of working it out. What will be brought about by God's investment of salvation in us? What will be produced what will our lives produce? God's given us this precious gift of life and salvation, forgiveness, no more shame. What's going to be produced? What's the rest of our life? I mean, I came to know Jesus at 17. I got a whole life. What am I going to do with it? This was my favorite. It's really there. What will we create on this earth with what God gave us? What? That's an incredible statement. So, are we going to hold fast to this incredible encouragement? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We will answer someday to a God who says, Okay, what did you do with what I gave you? We're all accountable for that. I say this a lot, but I keep reminding myself. Some people say, I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. Well, because of this, and this kind of door opening up, I want Jesus to delay coming back. Because I have not done enough with my life. And he's going to ask me, and I'm afraid he's going to say, is that it? That's all you did? I invested all of this in you? That's it? That's all you did? The rebellion that you were saved out of, the world, the world's like the rebellion is worse, and what did you do about it? And, well, I went to Bible study. You did what? You went to Bible study. I, I was like, going to Bible study is great, but you got to put it to work. Did you put it? No, I didn't. I just kept notebooks. <laughs> You're going to burn my notebooks. I'd know it. You get, you get? That's one. The next one is like, this is like almost stupid. Do everything. Except when my food is cold, I can complain. Do everything. Without, when it comes to politics, I can still argue about politics. Do everything. He's saying, do everything. If God is at work in us to will and to work towards his good pleasure or beyond our own natural abilities, do everything without complaint or argument. The proof of our faultlessness with God, our innocence, and our blamelessness is found in our ability to not complain or argue. Hmm. 
<laughs> How's our light shining? I mean, when was the last time we encouraged each other to stop complaining? One of my favorite cartoons, somebody just keeps posting this. It's a, this, the Neanderthal group, and they're standing on a cliff. There's kind of a group here, and one guy's going over the cliff, and the, guy, the leader is saying, so who else has a complaint? <laughs> How much of our prayer requests is just complaining? And how many of us can talk about what we believe about God or what we believe about our nation or the nations of the world or other religions without arguing. Again, I, I've got to remind us, if God is at work, if we're leaning into God, He empowers us. God the Holy Spirit will empower us to live a life that's not complaining or arguing. I know I can't do that on myself. You can't do that by yourself. But God in us, working through it, we, that can happen. And we are to be these people on the planet without complaint, without argument, in the midst, not removed from, in the midst of a dishonest, corrupt, pervert, perverted, but my favorite, the kind of the concrete nuance is a misshaped generation. It's as if the, the potter has the clay and he doesn't quite get it shaped into its fullness. And that's what people are without God completing the work in them. By golly, if, if we've come to know Jesus and, and we believed in Jesus and we're forgiven and we're living a life, then God is... He shaped us into this beautiful vessel. But the people around us that continue to live in rebellion against God, and in some ways in rebellion against themselves and rebellion against others, they're misshaped pots. They choose all kinds of stuff out of that misshape. It's not so much the stuff they do. The root of it is that they... They don't have God to finish shaping them. But you and I are supposed to be in the midst of life together without complaint, without argument, illuminating, shining. Finally, rejoicing in the face of sacrifice. Paul is saying, I mean, it's very personal at the end of this. He says, you know, if you're holding fast to the word of life by being people that are working at your own salvation, by being people that are allowing the Holy Spirit to will and to work in your lives, by being people who are not complaining, not arguing, then I, I have not, I've not run the race of faith. I've not lived this life of faith in vain. You know, I planted the good news of Jesus with you. And now it's, it's the, the idea is he's exerted himself to the limits of his own powers in an attempt to go forward, to strive to advance. And he's saying, if you're holding fast to these words of life, 
you're applying them, you're living this, then I know this good news of the kingdom is moving forward. We're not stuck. Our faith in Jesus is not about the past. It's all about moving forward. What really blows my mind is that the future has become present. So where we're headed is already here. And that's what we have to, that's what we get to live in that. And so he can say, even if I'm being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, what Ali is saying there is, I'm about to die. They're about to kill me. And he dresses it up in figurative language of, a, of an animal that's about to be sacrificed. And he's saying, as long as you're holding fast to these words of life, and the last one is that you can actually, I mean, I can actually be glad. I can actually rejoice in my impending death. Because I know that the message of Jesus is advancing on the earth. And you can rejoice with me too. I mean, this last year, there was some tragic loss of life. And I'm not sure many following Jesus really had the idea that we could rejoice when people lose their life by faith in Jesus. Because you really can't lose your life. You, you can take my life, but you can't do anything with my soul. So when you look at these details, the question, the end question is, will we shine? Are, are we going to be the followers of Jesus that really take seriously the words of encouragement that he's giving to us? We hold fast to those, we build our lives on those, and then we're actually shining, illuminating Our generation. Or are we going to do the opposite? Figure out a way that we can pay God back for what he's done for us. Beat ourselves, flagellate ourselves, penance. I'm so God, oh God, oh God. Complain, 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 argue, argue, argue. I got to be right. I'm right. My theology is right. I'm right. You're wrong. Hmm. Man, the, the thing that I just, I will end with is if the church, the genuine body of Christ on planet earth could get the idea of how big a deal it is that God has done for us, our world would not be in the same state that it is. It doesn't mean the struggle would be over. The struggle is going to continue when Jesus returns. But my friends, if 2.2 billion followers of Jesus, that's the number, were people that held fast to these instructions, they were shining God's light around the world, what state would our world be in? It wouldn't be perfect, I know that. But it would be better than what it is. So this is my question. Will we take responsibility for that? I mean, we can cry all day long. We can complain all day, all day long. God, 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 where are you, God? What he's saying, well, what are you all doing? What are you doing with what I gave you? And, I, and by the way, I'll help you in every way. 
will we take responsibility and know that if we were to show up at the judgment seat of Christ today, we would have to answer him for the state of our world. Do, 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 we, do we know that? It's just not my personal life. It's everybody around me. So I don't know if you want to stand with me or not, but I'm going to invite you to stand because I want to ask God to do this for us, in us, and through us. All right, if you're willing, could we stand together and invite, like, we need help here. Don't we? This is not a you-can-do-it message. This is, we can't do this, help! If you don't do this, God, it's not going to get done. So, Lord, here we are. We're just ordinary people. But we've experienced your love. We've experienced your grace, your mercy, forgiveness, freedom. We have placed our faith in Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. Not only our personal Savior, but the Savior of all humanity. And we have not yet been translated out of this world, so here we are in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation misshaped because of people that don't yet know you. And so I ask you, I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to open up our eyes for us to see how important it is to take to heart the instruction that you give us and then to rely upon you to empower us to will and to work according to that instruction. I ask that you create in us a humility, a reliance upon you. The reality is we can't do this without your help. And so Holy Spirit, come. Would you come and empower us? <laughs> empower us to will and to work according to your good pleasure. Empower us to do everything without complaint or argument. Empower us to be glad and rejoice even in the face of death. And I ask, O oh Lord, that as you empower us, Holy Spirit, as you empower us, that you would glow, that you would illuminate, that you would shine on the earth through us so that this dark world would be illuminated by your light. Help us. Send us down this path for this year. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.